With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Page five, where could I go? Page five. I'm <laughs> 
Let's do uh, page 40. It is good to see people uh, signed in to the app or the website, whatever it may be, on Mitzvah, so I can see who is attending the worship services. Very good to see that, that people are registering and signing in so that we can see who's attending. Thank you very much for that. Page 40. Trust and obey. And we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. How we do his good he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But we trust and obey, not a burden we bear. Not a sorrow we share, but our toils he does richly repay. Not a leap or a loss, not a crown or a cross, but his blessed we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. What we never can do, the light of His love, until all on the altar we lay. For the favor He shows, and the joy He brings. Are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. 
you who work at breaking the law. Brother Gerald, I've got my old volumes sitting here. Around downstairs, it's on my desk. It's right behind my chair. Appreciate it. Uh, no. Okay, let Brother Gerald run down here real quick. It won't take long. I won't be reading out of the new updated edition I get every word as correctly as possible as this work of the translation to restore the Bible to the original format, the original words. The ongoing process, now eight years gone. There's Brother Simon in South Africa. Good to see you logged in. Praise God. And hello to our brother in South Korea, our brother in Jamaica, our brother and sister in South Africa, uh, as well as Simon, who's also the Hugh and Dominique, and uh, John up in Kansas. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Matthew 7 here, verse 21 through verse 23. So this, of course is completely opposite of traditional doctrine where all you've got to do is say one prayer, repeat the words after me, and and just believe and just have faith. And that's it. Because Jesus himself, not the Apostle Paul or Peter or Matthew, but Jesus himself said, that there will be many people that won't inherit eternal life, that won't inherit, won't receive the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, even though they have done great things for him. Of course they believed if they have done great things for him, if they have prophesied in his name, if they have cast out demons, if they have performed many miracles, and yet still not make it in. That's an amazing statement. How amazing it would be if a lot of Christians would just really take time to think about what Jesus said in this verse. Amen. It's so significant. And it is extremely serious. What he said is extremely serious. Many people think they know God. And they don't. He says, I never knew you. It's not that they fell away from him, but rather they were never saved, even though they was going to church. These are church leaders. Amen. Casting out demons, performing miracles, prophesying. These are the church leaders by far in most, you know, in mostly. 
These are people that believe. These are people that have prayed and prayed and prayed and gone to church and evangelized and witnessed. And they still don't make it in. So it came to me a few days ago. Since we know that there is a second resurrection, most people don't even know that because they haven't read enough of the Bible to know that. But we know that, having read the Bible, that there's a second resurrection, which is followed by 100 years of people living on this planet, living in flesh and blood, and having that last opportunity of a lifetime of 100 years to accept God or yet be deceived again. And at the end of the 100 years, to come to the white throne judgment. And to be judged, the books will be opened and they will be judged according to all of their works, everything they have done. And some will inherit the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, eternal life, paradise. And others will not. There will be people that will perish in the lake of fire. The second death, the Bible calls it. And death is death not just separation from God. But since we know all of that, having read the Bible, the thought came to me, how is it possible that having that hundred years and coming to the white throne of judgment that there still exists false Christians, deceived Christians who think they know the Lord, and yet Jesus will say to them, I never knew you, depart from you, and they depart from me, and they will uh, receive that second death. How is that possible after having that second lifetime that they would still yet be false Christians? So then it came to me that there are some people, some groups, the old worldwide church of God call a third resurrection as well. We don't believe in a third resurrection. I don't see it in the Bible. But the, the theory of a third resurrection would solve that dilemma. Is it possible that there could be a third resurrection? Because a third resurrection teaching is If you have been introduced to the truth, you have heard the truth in this lifetime, that you won't rise in the second resurrection. You won't have that hundred years. But rather you would rise in the third resurrection, which is after the hundred years, to be cast into the fire, to perish, be annihilated in the lake of fire at the same time as the people in the second resurrection if they did not get saved in that hundred years, that they would both perish at the same time in the lake of fire. The 
the second resurrection being a hundred years opportunity to learn the truth, some will and some won't, but the third resurrection being a resurrection to immediate damnation, immediate lake of fire death, not having that hundred years. Is it possible that that particular teaching is correct, that there's a third resurrection? It would solve the dilemma of how in the world is it possible that people would live in the hundred years of the second resurrection, seeing Jesus on the earth, seeing David, Noah, Moses, and Paul on the earth in that day and time, and having the kingdom of God on earth in that day and time, a government of justice, and the truth being taught worldwide, and no such thing as the famine of, famine of the word of God at that time. How could there possibly be still yet at the end of that hundred years, many, not just a few, but many deceived false Christians as we have today? How is it possible? So then I searched out the scriptures, and today I'm going to share with you the scriptures they use to teach a third resurrection, and we're going to take an honest and sincere look at both sides of whether there's only two or whether that there is three, which is the truth. And I approach this with a sincere heart of being willing to repent and to stand here to say that I was wrong about teaching only two if that that was the result of the study of the scriptures. Whatever the truth may be, let that be the conclusion of the matter. Either way, let the truth be known. So let's look and let's examine it together. And we're going to examine it together just as if I was studying this all by myself. What is the truth, and you can study it with me at the same time. So the very first place that comes to mind is Revelation 20. Let's turn there. Because Revelation 20 was the really the basis of the teaching of the third resurrection. The really the basis, the foundation of a third resurrection teaching. We'll start all the way in verse 1, and we know that verse 1 of Revelation 20 begins with the first resurrection, the coming of Jesus to the earth after the great tribulation and after the wrath of God is finished. And Jesus lands in the earth at the battle of Armageddon. The dead in Christ have already been risen about 41 and a half days before that at the first resurrection. That's the context. And it says in verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss of the deep, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of the old, which is the devil, namely Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Locked him up, put him in bondage and prison for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss of the deep, 
and shut and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. We prepare that word short time from Isaiah 65, verse 20, that defines it as being a hundred years. When both the sinner and the infant that has not yet sinned, both of those groups of people, even that the sinner may already be a hundred years old, both groups of people of all ages of people throughout humanity, throughout the time of humanity, from Adam and Eve to the end of time, living another hundred years, everyone, unless they made it into the first resurrection. And the, to- the context of that verse in Isaiah 65, verse 20, the context is undeniable. You can't deny the context of talking about the time period right before eternal life, paradise, the new heavens and the new earth. You can't deny that context. It's very clearly a hundred years. But continuing here in Revelation 20, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and authority to judge was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of the Theos, and of those who had not worshipped the evil beast or his stone, and had not received the branding on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now that's talking about, you see how it's going back in time a little bit. It's going back about 41 and a half days to explain what had already occurred before this angel threw Satan in prison. Is that we have already had the first resurrection already here in this verse. And it's going back and forth in time, back and forth in time, uh, because in the first part of verse 4, we actually see the saints uh, judging people on Judgment Day at the Great White Throne Judgment, okay? Or maybe it's judging people during the 100 years, reigning the government. But then it goes all the way back to the first resurrection again. So it does make it confusing for people that have not read it over and over and over and over and have not read the entire Bible. That's very key to understanding the Bible, is both reading the entire Bible and reading specific passages as well as the entire Bible over and over and over again. That's how you learn it. That's how you understand it. You've got to read it over and over to really see it in different viewpoints at different times of your life as you grow older and more wiser and more intelligent, hopefully as you get older, that you read it in a different light. And sometimes we've got our ups and downs Sometimes we're more sleepy than other days. Sometimes we have a better focus other days. So if you read it at a different time, you're able to soak it in better than what you previously was able to soak it in. Now we're going here to verse 5, and the rest of the dead, those that did not rise in that first resurrection, did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So very clearly, there's a second resurrection, right? This is easy stuff. 
Now that word rest of the dead is something that we must examine to see whether this is really a possible that there's only two resurrections or whether it's possible that there is a third. Because we've always used that rest of the dead to say that's everybody that did not rise. It's the rest of the dead. It is the remaining people, without exception. All the remaining people, if they do not rise in the first, they must rise in the second. That's what we've been teaching, right? So then I looked at the Greek word for rest to make for sure, to verify, and to confirm that it means all of the rest without exception. And the Greek word can be translated as the remaining, all of the remaining, but it can also be translated as others, the others. If you look how it's used throughout the Bible, that particular Greek word, it doesn't necessarily mean everyone else that's possible, everyone outside the first circle. It doesn't demand that it is everyone outside the first circle. It can possibly mean just simply others, that other people rose from the dead. It does not demand everyone outside the first circle. However, we must also look at the context, because context is what really narrows down the definition of a word. We must look to see if there's three groups, because if it's only others and not everyone, because it could go either way with that Greek word, but if it's only others rather than everyone, then we must look to see where it's talking about the third group, right? So we'll keep reading. In verse 6, this is the first resurrection. That's confusing because we just got done reading about the second resurrection, but here it says this is the first resurrection. This is the first resurrection is referring back to, as it keeps going back, those that came to life in verse 4 to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Amen. But pick it back up in verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is the one who had part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. You can't die in the lake of fire. But they will be priests of the Theos and of Christ and will reign with him for that thousand years. So that defines it again brings it back that the first resurrection is talking about is definitely those that rose at the beginning of the thousand years because they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Then verse 7, and when a thousand years are completed, so again it returns back to that again, when a thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. That's very important right there. He will come out 
for the purpose of to deceive the nations. Amen? That's a lot of people right there. That's a lot of people right there. He didn't come out to deceive a couple people, a few people, or just one nation. But the nations, a lot of people, to get deceived in that hundred years, in that short time of the second resurrection, which are in the four segments, north, south, east, west of the earth, even Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Wow. Right there is part of our answer. Amen. The number of which is like the sand of the seashore. A lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Many people would say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do that? And Jesus would say, get away from me. I never knew. It is possible. Unfortunately. It's mind-boggling. Amen. Is mind-boggling. How is it possible that there would be many people that would be given another lifetime to learn and accept the real, real truth? With Jesus here, with the apostles here, with Moses and Noah and Jeremiah and Daniel being on earth in that hundred years, the justice of the kingdom of God reigning and yet they still be deceived because Satan will be actively working to deceive the nations at the same time. At the same time. Now think about it. Noah was here one time before and everybody was deceived. Still yet. Amen. Moses was here at one time on earth alive and walking, and many people, even a lot of the people that came out of the Red Sea, how many of those survived? Every one of them died, except for their children. By the time they came to the land of milk and honey, by the time they came to the promised land 40 years later, every single person that had crossed the Red Sea, except for Joshua and Caleb and Moses, they all die before reaching the promised land. Only their children and grandchildren were still alive. God had killed away all of the original Israelites that was freed from Egypt. God killed every one of them except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and their children and grandchildren. Because, because, even though they had saw the splitting of the Red Sea, even though they had saw all ten plagues upon Egypt, and how God had preserved and protected the Israelites through that process of the ten plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea, and yet they still rebelled against God's truth, God's faithfulness, God's love, they still rebel. They still rebel. So when we ask the question, how is it possible that in the 100 years after the second resurrection, when we have Moses on earth, 
Well, he was here before and they rebelled. Amen. In huge numbers. How is it possible Noah will be here and people still be deceived? They were deceived the last time when Noah was here. They didn't listen to him at that time either. Amen. Even when Jesus himself walked on the earth in the flesh for 30 or 33 years or whatever it was, they crucified him. And he was a good man and did no wrong and no harm. And they crucified him. And they, they murdered all the prophets and all the apostles throughout time. It's mind-boggling. But that's the reality of the wickedness of humanity. Amen? Let's keep reading here. Verse 9. And they, those which the devil deceived in the hundred years, talking now about the end of the hundred years, they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's the lake of fire. That's the presence of God himself descending out of the heavenlies to land upon the earth in the un, unhindered, full manifestation of God. Uninhibited is what I should find. It's that uninhibited, full measure of the presence and glory of God. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was also thrown into the lake of fire and so forth, where the evil beast and the false prophet had been also, and they will be tormented day and night until the end of their existence. Annihilated. Then I saw a great white throne, and he, him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and the universe fled away, and no place was found for them. So in other words, when that presence of God, fullness of the presence of God, devours the entire earth. He's devouring the heavens and the earth, melting away all the elements and transforming the universe once again, even as he did in Genesis 1, verse 2. Verse 1. Verse 12, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, whose clothes were open. That's the great by its own judgment. Now, of course, that's not going to happen after the lake of fire annihilates the devil and all the wicked people, right? And rather that happens in the moments just before that. So it's backing up a little bit here. It's backing up a day or two or whatever. The day, the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, the great white throne judgment, and scrolls were opened. And another scroll was woven, the book of life, all these things, which is the scroll of life, and the dead was judged from the things which were written in the scrolls according to their works. As we said many times over and over, not according to whether they believed or not, but according to their works. Did they obey God or not? In 
verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. So here they say, the people that teach a third resurrection, that this is another resurrection in verse 13, the sea given up the dead. They say that's a third, being that the second resurrection is the dead already being judged, the dead is already alive, they're already resurrected, but in verse 13 you see another group of people rising from the dead, in verse 13, is what they say. We've always said that verse 13 is explained by the fact that every verse of this chapter is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, re-explaining itself, giving more details as it goes back and forth, giving additional details about what it's already said. Is that true? Or is it a third resurrection? So we'll keep studying, we'll keep reading, we'll go to other books of the Bible, we'll go to other books and we're going to study this out. But it says in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, the dead which were in them, the death and the grave gave up the dead which were in them, and everyone according to their works. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now notice the word second death. Does it ever say third death? But being the people that believe in a third resurrection would say the second death would include the people from the second resurrection and the people from the third resurrection dying at the same time. So it only says second death because both groups die at the same time. Okay, I accept that. But I would like to see the word third for anything, for anything at all in this topic. Now, we got to confess, we don't see the word second resurrection. We don't see the word second resurrection. But we know that there is a second because that is completely, 100% clear that you have the first resurrection, and it even uses the word first resurrection. It does use that word. Brother Gerald, you can help me find. Right there, verse 6, does use the word first resurrection. And if there's a first, then that demands that there be at least a second. Yeah, it demands, and it says that the rest of the dead uh, did not come to life until the thousand years were finished, but then later on, it describes them coming back to life at the end of the thousand years. So we can't debate that. How can you deny that? But yet, most Christians do deny that. Again, they don't read the Bible. They don't read it. Amen. You can't deny a second resurrection. You simply can't. And you can't deny the 100 years either. It says so in Isaiah 65, 20, straight out. Amen. But people, most Christians deny that truth as well. They simply don't believe the Bible because they're so stuck, brainwashed, and programmed in the traditional Sunday church's doctrines. 
translate documents. So even though we don't have the word second resurrection, we know that there is because it's abundantly clear. But a third resurrection is not abundantly clear in this chapter. It's not, unless you accept that 13, verse 13, is a third and is not repeating itself, which if it's not repeating itself, then that would be um, interesting because it is repeating itself over and over and over in this chapter. So is it repeating itself or is it declaring a third resurrection? I think to really solve that, you really have to look at all these other chapters and all everything else and get a full picture before you make up your final decision. So let's go somewhere else then. Let's look at something else. Let's go to um, John chapter 5. Verse 29. John 5, verse 29. Jesus is talking here. And he says, I think we should go ahead, go back to verse 28 even. Verse 28, uh, do not marvel at this, for hours coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good to a resurrection of life, and those who committed evil to a resurrection of being judged. In other words, to have that 100 years coming to Judgment Day at the end of the 100 years. But the people that believe in third resurrection say that they're resurrected just on Judgment Day, just only to be judged and thrown in to the lake of fire immediately the same day. I could see it going either way there, except for they're teaching three resurrections, and Jesus here really only mentions two, right? He really does only mention two. One is resurrection for the righteous people that did good. Their resurrection is to life eternal. That's the first resurrection. And then one more resurrection, a resurrection of judgment, of being judged. There's really only two options in his statement. There's not a three. There's not... Okay, here's here's the first one, here's the second one, here's the third one. I don't see that. Now, really, Jesus is not quoting, but referring back to Daniel. And let's look at that in Daniel 12, verse 2. Daniel 12, verse 2.
page 198 in the Alpha and Omega Bible. It could be page 197, maybe perhaps in some of the older copies, if you have the paperbacks of the Alpha and Omega Bible. Like their paper getting thinner now. They printed this new edition. Our paper's a little bit thinner. Well, it used to be, unfortunately. Daniel 12, verse 2. Um, you've got the, um, the Theodosian version comes first, and then the Old Greek version directly after that verse. Uh, let's just read both versions. Daniel 12, verse 2, we'll go back to the previous page. Verse 2, then the people will be exalted or lifted up or risen up. Then everyone that is written in the scroll, everyone that is written, even everyone that is written in the scroll, everybody's going to rise from the dead. Eventually, all of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to reproach or shame, and permanent disowning. Old Greek says, many of them that sleep in the breath of the earth, uh, talking about the length and width of the earth, shall be risen up, some to life everlasting. I want to take out Brother Gerald where it says exalted, lifted up, and let's just keep risen up in both the Theodosian and the Greek. Let's just narrow that down, there be risen up. And uh, some to life everlasting, and some to shame, and some to dispersion, which is scattering, and shame everlasting. <clears throat> if you look at verse, I mean, if you look at the Theodosian, the first uh, translation of this verse, uh, let's see, everybody's risen up from the sleep and the dust, they shall all wake up. Some of them to everlasting life. Right there is the first resurrection that Jesus referred to. And then some to reproach, which is shame and permanent dishonor. So I really only see two of them, especially when Jesus is wording it, not as shame and dishonor, but this judgment. If we compare the two, which is what you must do with any topic, with any subject, wherever you are in the Bible, is to prepare verse with verse and keep preparing every related verse. So when I compare these two verses, I still only see two resurrections. That we honestly take a look at it, we honestly examine it. But I'm looking for proof of a third, if it's there. Don't really, really see it being there. If we think back to the Isaiah 65, verse 20, let's just go ahead and look at that. A lot of people are not familiar with it. It's in the if it were right here in the Book of Prophets anyway, Isaiah 65, 
page 49. Let me see where to start here. Uh, start in verse 17. It's a good place to start. Isaiah 65, verse 17. For there should be a new heaven and new earth. That's paradise. So that's when everything's already accomplished. Death has already been destroyed. The devil and his angels already been destroyed. All the wicked people already destroyed. And then we are, we are in perfect paradise. No pain, no suffering, no death, no wickedness, no sin, no deception. New heavens and new earth. That's the context. And they shall not at all remember the formal former life, neither shall they at all come into their mind. But they shall find in her joy and rejoicing. For behold, I make Jerusalem a rejoicing, and my people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and will be glad in my people. And there shall be no more heard in her the voice of weeping or the voice of the outcry. Neither shall there be any more infant that dies untimely, or old man who shall not complete his time. For the infant shall live to a hundred years old, and the sinner who dies at a hundred years old shall also be accursed. So here, in the last part of verse 20, we have people die at the age of a hundred years of living. So that's no longer paradise, because in paradise there is no death of anyone. Right? So it's backing up in time. It's backing up into the 100 years. It's backing up into the last possible time. It's not going back 1,000 years or 2,000 or 4,000. It's backing up to the very last step before paradise. Your entrance into paradise. The entrance into paradise is that 100-year time frame that Revelation 20 called a short time. It is a short time. 100 years is a short time compared to the millennium, which had just occurred in Revelation 20. And both groups, children and old men, both live 100 years. And it's impossible for them to die during that time. Because the infant, if he dies at age 40, he's not going to have 100. He's promised 100. And even the old man is promised another 100 years, everybody of that second resurrection must live the complete and the full 100 years and not one day shorter. Because if anybody dies shorter than the 100 years, then when they rise again, because they would have to rise again, and that would demand a third resurrection to judgment, to uh, the white throne judgment. But notice, they can't die. So it doesn't demand a third resurrection. They can't die because both groups are absolutely promised 100 years even the sinners. Amen. That promise can't be broken. 
and has never been fulfilled in all of human history. Yes, some people live to be a thousand, but at the same time, at the same time, infants were dying. So that's not the fulfillment. This is specifically a hundred, not a thousand. Amen. It's specifically talking about a one hundred year and not anything less and not anything more. To sinners. When in all of human history have sinners been promised to live to be a hundred, a hundred exactly. Never in all of human history. It's never been fulfilled and never will be fulfilled until the second resurrection. And that's the only possibility. That's the only possibility. There's not any other possible time frame in which that can be fulfilled. Zero in that. And they should be accursed if they die at the end of the hundred years still being a sinner. If he's still a sinner at the end of the hundred years, he's accursed. If you read the whole chapter before this and after this, looking for a third resurrection to immediate damnation, annihilation, I don't see it. We can also consider Ezekiel 37, which is the Valley of Dry Bones, second resurrection, where everybody in the Old Testament, Moses, Noah, Jeremiah, everyone of the Old Testament, everyone of the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, everyone of the Old Testament without exception, rises in Ezekiel 37. You have both houses of Israel, both the house of Judah, the Jews, and the non-Jewish Israelites, the Americans, the British, others around the world, Canadians, Australians, so forth, coming back to life and being rejoined as being one house of Israel, one government of Israel, led by King David. And that's the second resurrection because there was no salvation available for the Old Testament people. There wasn't. They're not in heaven right now. The Bible says so. Amen. It says David is dead and buried. Look at Acts says that twice. John 3 says no man has ever ascended up to heaven except for the Son of Man that kind of came down from heaven. So there was no salvation in the blood of goats and sheep. Moses was a great man. Noah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Amos, Joel. They were great men of God, truly called and chosen and served God greatly, but they were not saved because Christ, his blood had not yet been shed for the atonement of our sins. Those people the Old Testament died before Christ died. They was dead and buried and their bones already uh, rotten away before Christ died. The crucifixion and blood and sacrifice of Christ has no effect upon dead people who have no knowledge of his sacrifice. How can you accept 
the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins if you don't even know that Christ walked on the earth and was crucified and rose again the third day. If you don't even have no knowledge of that, you have no salvation. Amen. Jesus very clearly taught that the first people that go out into the field of the harvest to work the God's kingdom, those people of the Old Testament, those people of the Old Covenant, that the first shall be last in the resurrections. Last to be paid their wages. The Bible says they died without their wages, that they have not received their reward. It says that. Amen. But people don't believe it because they're so brainwashed and programmed by the Sunday churches. And even when you tell them this, even when you show them in the Bible, even when you have an article that is extensive and detailed and gives you verse after verse after verse after verse, they still don't believe it because they're so programmed in the Catholic Sunday doctrine that we're immediately in heaven or immediately in hell, and they won't even consider what the Bible really says. How can it be that people go through the hundred years of the second resurrection and still be false Christians? Look around you. There's your answer. How can people actually own a copy of the Bible in our century? actually own a copy that you can read with your own eyes and yet still believe in traditional Catholic doctrines of immediate heaven and hell, which the Bible doesn't even speak of at all. Someone mentioned to me today really the answer. And that is people have man-made doctrines that are not really man-made doctrines, but the doctrines of fallen angels. Amen? That's your answer. The devil deceived the nations. Revelation 12, verse 9, that Satan has deceived the entire world, the entire world, everyone, every church, every congregation, every pastor, God searched the entire earth to find only one righteous man, Noah. I guarantee you the earth was filled with preachers at that time. I guarantee you in Noah's lifetime, there was millions of people who thought they loved God. And yet they did not accept the word of God preached by the only righteous preacher that lived in that generation. Only Noah was the only righteous preacher of all of them. It's no different today. It really isn't if we believe what the Bible says. 
People think I'm crazy for what I'm saying, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Revelation 12, verse 9. Satan has deceived the entire world. I'm, I'm sorry you don't believe what it says. I'm sorry that you think that all of these Christians are right and are going to heaven. When the Bible says that they will say to me in that day, I did all these wonderful things for you, and Jesus will say, get away from me. I never knew you. If we think about Ezekiel, because we've got to consider all, everything in the Bible on this topic and on any topic. Amen? We've got to consider everything the Bible says. So when you consider Ezekiel 37, I don't see a third resurrection there. We can go into chapter 38, the God made God more. We can go into chapter 39, where it talks about the millennium. We can go throughout Ezekiel, all, every chapter of Ezekiel, every chapter of Daniel. If we're going to deal with prophecy, we've got to deal with Daniel being a prophetic book, Ezekiel being a prophetic book, Jeremiah being a prophetic book, looking and seeking for a third resurrection. I don't see it, just to be honest with you. And I was willing to embrace it and accept it if I could find it. And what if I could find it in Ezekiel? What if I could find it in Jeremiah? What if I could find it in Isaiah? What if I could find it in Daniel? But I simply don't see it. Well, there's another resurrection place. Let's go read it in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'll turn right there. I'm, I'm just trying to open up the Bible and right there it is. Didn't have to flip the page. First Corinthians 15. Let's just read the whole chapter. I want to make sure we don't miss something. Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brother, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you receive, and which also you stand, by which you are saved. If you hold tight, very tight, it says, to the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cyprus, that is, Peter, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. After he rose from the dead, he appeared to 500 people at one time, most of whom remain until now. They're still alive. But some have fallen asleep. Notice how he says, asleep rather than dead. They knew the truth. 
He didn't say some have went to heaven and some went to hell. He said they went to sleep. Amen. And people would just read the Bible and believe it. But they don't. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And I'm the least of the apostles. Of course, we know he was the greatest apostle. But he was humble and called himself the least of the apostles. And not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the congregation and called out ones of Theos, the Ecclesia. But by the grace of Theos, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of Theos with me. Rather than it was I or they, just so as we preach and we believe. Verse 12, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? There was, uh, I think it was the Sadducees that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, and there was a lot of them. They believed in God, and they believed in the Bible, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they kept the Sabbath, and they kept the holy days, but they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. It may not be in Ezekiel 37. Amen. 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 People. People. So, verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Verse 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of Theos because we testified against Theos that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. But if Christ has been raised, or if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. In other words, there's no salvation without the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Verse 18, then those who have also, who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. In other words, they're not in heaven. Amen? Those that have died, those that have fallen asleep while they're being in Christ, they're perished, but even more so if there's no resurrection. So he believed in either there must be a resurrection or nothing else at all. He did not have the third option of opinion, of belief, of religious belief that they're already in heaven already or already in hell, right? He either believed that either there's a resurrection or else everything ends in vain. Amen? And yet, your typical Christian, unfortunately, puts absolutely zero emphasis on the resurrection because they believe that you're already in heaven or hell as soon as you die. So there's no emphasis on the resurrection except for pre-trib rapture, which is not in the Bible at all. Continuing in verse 19, 
if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. He says asleep over and over and over again. Obviously, he doesn't believe that they're awake in heaven. Verse 21, for a sense, by a human came death, Adam and Eve, by human Christ also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, all will be resurrected. Verse 23, but each in his own order. So obviously there's more than one resurrection. Amen. Each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, the example. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Still talking about the first resurrection. Verse 24, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the Theos and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet and when he says all things are in subjection, it is evident that he is expected to put all things in, sub in subjection to him when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that Theos will become whole again. Verse 29, otherwise, what were those who are baptized for the dead? What will those who are baptized for the dead? I think I'm not sure that's what it do, listen to the word do. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are they then baptized for them? The footnote says, Paul is not teaching that we should baptize people on behalf of people who already died. He's only questioning their reasoning. Probably the Sadducees. The Sadducees that did not believe in a resurrection, he's probably talking about the same group of people baptizing people on behalf of the dead. He did not agree with the Sadducees that there's no resurrection. And he's not agreeing with the Sadducees that you must baptize yourself on behalf of your dead grandparents. So or baptizing Old Testament people, you're baptizing yourself for Old Testament people or your grandparents or your brothers or your sisters, whatever it is. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. You can't do it. He's not agreeing with them. He's just saying, why do you do it when you don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead? Why are you baptizing someone on behalf of the dead if they're not going to rise again. He's just saying that their logic is not logic. He's just saying that their teachings are not logical. Verse 30, Why are we also in danger of the iron? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which in you which I have in Christ Jesus 
our Lord, I die daily. In other words, he's crucifying himself from sin. So on. So anyway, we see there's nothing else. Oh, wait, let's go on down to verse 35. Let's skip a little bit. But someone would say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Fool, he says. Paul. Hey, Paul, settle down. Fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Paul is getting a little excited here. He's insulting them. Amen. Verse 37, And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare naked grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But Theos gives it a body just as he wanted, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of humans, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, but even stars different from star to star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first human Adam became a living soul. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first human is from the earth, earthly. The second human is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of heaven. Now I say this, brother, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of theos, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The whole I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of the eye, at the last trumpet, that's not before the tribulation. Amen. How can you have a last trumpet before the tribulation? Amen. Read Revelation. Come on, read it. Read the whole book of Revelation talking about the seven trumpets and then at the last trumpet, at the seventh trumpet, is when the two witnesses rise from the dead with the church. Amen. It's at the last trumpet. This is not teaching a pre-trib rapture fairy tale junk. The twinkle of the eye does not happen before the rapture or before the tribulation, but rather it happens at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and as mortal will have put on the 
immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to Theos who gives the victory to our Lord Jesus the Christ. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. We only skip two or three verses, about 31 to 34, if you want to read them. Read them. Read them a million times. You still won't find a third resurrection. I really only see here in this chapter that we traditionally call the resurrection chapter. I really just only see that there's the resurrection to life and then another resurrection. I don't see a third resurrection. We know that Matthew 25 starts out with the parable of the ten virgins. And then later on, in the last part of Matthew 25, we have the great white throne judgment. If we read that whole chapter a million times, I really only see two resurrections. One, for the, the wife of Christ, the bride of Christ, at the first resurrection, at the beginning of the chapter, and then a second resurrection for the great white throne judgment, which would include the 100 years. I don't see a third one in Matthew 25. You can read it in your convenience, read it a million times. You still won't find a third one in Matthew 25 either. One last place. That's Luke 16. Look at Luke 16. One last place that they will try to use to preach a third resurrection to immediate annihilation. Luke 16, starting in verse 19. And this is the story of Lazarus and Richard. And, of course, the traditional Roman Catholic Christians who call themselves Protestant, but they're not Protestant at all, they love to use the story, the fable, of Lazarus and the rich man to try to teach immediate heaven and hell, which is really, really, really twisted. But before we read this, we must acknowledge that there is absolute proof that this is a story that came of the Jewish Tamad, or Tamud, however he wants to say it. And the Jewish Mod to mood is not a biblical manuscript. It's not holy scripture. It's part of uh, the Judaism 
It is Judaism, false teaching, very legalistic. Uh, it is not scripture, but it was stories told in uh, from generation to generation of the people that was denying Christ and crucified Christ. It is an anti-Christ religion. But just as Paul was using false doctrine of the Sadducees, baptizing people for the dead, not believing in a resurrection, which the two doctrines contradicted each other. Jesus here, with the fable of Lazarus and the rich man, was doing the same thing, using the people's false doctrines to show their own hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of their own doctrines, not making sense, not being logical. Uh, that's what he's doing. Paul was not teaching baptism for the dead, and neither is Jesus teaching people talking to one another from the dead. Amen. Come on now, let's get real. But so now having said that, that he's using a a fable of that time, a fable that was well known at that time. People knew this story. It wasn't the first time they heard it. It had been passed down from family to family in Judaism. It was a popular fable, a well-known fable at the time. With that information at hand, we read this fable. Verse 19, Jesus uh, is telling the story of the fable. He says, now there, that there was a rich person. And he habitably dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, two officers, a rich man and a poor man. The poor man Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with swords, and longing to be fed to the full with the crumbs which were fallen from the rich man's table, as he was licking the spoon. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his swords. Now the, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Why in the world is Abraham's bosom? And the rich man also died and was buried. Notice, neither one goes to heaven or hell. They both are buried, or actually the rich man is buried. And the poor man is Abraham's bosom, which nobody knows what that is, unless you have a private interpretation, or unless it's explained in the Tamar. But we don't have a biblical uh, interpretation of Abraham's bosom because now it's not a biblical principle, it's not a biblical story, it's a fairy tale. You don't have a biblical interpretation of it because it's not a biblical thing. But notice that the rich man is buried. He's in the grave. In verse 23, in that grave, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. So he sees both Lazarus and he sees Abraham. 
Verse 24, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And seeing Lazarus, the poor guy, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony by the flame. Now, he's in the grave. It says so in verse 22 that he's buried. Verse 23 that he's in the grave. He's not in hell. Even though the traditional Catholic false Protestant people say that he's in hell because it uses the word flame. But it's already said twice that he's in the grave. He's already said that twice. Amen. The grave is not hell. The flame he's talking about is in an analogy, in a belief, in a uh, religious belief system, perhaps a future flame that he's worried about, the lake of fire of the future perhaps, or maybe it's a mental flame, since it's fairy tale, it's hard to tell what it is, but we know that he's in the grave and he's not actually burning. And if he was actually burning, he would ask for a fire hydrant, he would ask for a water hose, he would ask for an ocean. Amen. If you're asking for a miracle, then ask for a miracle. Amen. But he only asked for a drop of water for his tongue not for his arms and his legs, his hair, but one drop of water just only for his tongue. Obviously, it's a fairy tale. It's not realistic. It's not logical. And there's nothing logical about this. Abraham's bosom and asking for one drop of water is is not a logical thing, but fairy tale. It don't even make sense. But a person could explain it as saying that he just wants a drop of water because his mouth is dry, because he's in fear of his future. A person could explain it like that is the best that they could do. Verse 25, but Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus had received bad things in his life, had a bad life, being a poor man. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, besides between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, whether it's time, whether it's location, whatever it is, a great gulf, so that those who won't come over from here to you will not be able, it's impossible, that none may cross over from there to us, possible. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my dad's house. This Lazarus, send him to my dad's house, for I have five brothers in order that we may warn him my dad, so that they would not also come to the same place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and their prophets. 
let them hear them. Let them read the Bible. Let them believe the Bible. Amen. Verse 30, but he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham, said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. End of story. What Jesus was doing is using their own traditional stories to teach them that even in your lunatic stories, even in that, your own stories don't convince your own people to follow Christ. That you're being hypocrites. That even if I did send somebody from the dead, even if Christ himself rises from the dead, even if Lazarus himself rises from the dead, which is a different Lazarus, different but even if I rose somebody named Lazarus from the dead, it ain't going to make a hill of beans to you people, is what he's teaching, what Christ is teaching by telling this story. All the people that crossed the Red Sea, they had Moses. They still didn't make it into the promised land to their version of paradise. People have the writing of Moses today and they don't believe it. They have the writing about the Sabbath they don't believe it. They have the writing about we must keep Pentecost and they don't even though they call themselves Pentecostal and they don't even believe in keeping Pentecost. How is it possible in Matthew 7 that we have a second resurrection, we have that 100 years, but then at the end of that 100 years, you still have many, many people who are false Christians. Look around you today. How many of your family and your friends and your coworkers have you shared the Bible verses about the Sabbath, and they still don't love God enough to obey. And the Sabbath is very simple, very easy. It's one of the Ten Commandments. How much easier can you get than that? And they still don't keep it. And you can show them in the Bible how the Easter and Christmas are demonic. And their response to that is, you're a lunatic. You're a religious fanatic because you're teaching holiness. You're teaching repentance. You're teaching that you must obey God and reverently fear God. You must be out of your mind. You must be crazy. They call righteous evil. They call good bad evil. They call evil good. They call demonic practices Christmas and Easter, they call demonic practices good.
you are considered a cult, false, deceived, brainwashed, if you actually believe in holiness, if you actually believe in the obedience to the, the big ten of the Ten Commandments without exception. That they shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. Do not worship me in the same way that the heathens worship their gods. It says so in Deuteronomy 12. And they totally ignore it. Totally ignore it. Just totally ignore. Purposely ignore. Purposely ignore. Like Hebrews, I think, is it chapter 10 or chapter 11? It's chapter 10, Hebrews 10. That says that they sin willfully. And therefore, there remains no more sacrifice for sin for them. They sin willfully. That's what Jesus said, get away from me. I never knew you. You who work at breaking the law. Amen. How is it possible that you show people Jesus' name and prove absolutely every letter of Jesus' name? You prove every letter and every sound of Jesus' name. They can't prove Yahweh. They can't. They can watch a million videos of the church of YouTube. They can read a million websites and a million books written by Freemasons teaching the Assyrian letter Y names and still not be able to prove that it's Y-A-H that the A comes after the Y. They say there was no vowels. When Moses wrote Y-H-W-H, they say there was no vowels and then they make up the vowels to insert in the name of Yahweh, making up that the A comes first and then the E is the next vowel, prove it. You can't. You're making up vowels after saying there was no vowels. Make up your mind. Was there vowels or not vowels? Hypocrites. You can show them the proof, absolute, undeniable proof, that Satanists and witches chant the Assyrian letters of the YHWH, and that makes absolute no importance to them. Zero. They totally ignore that undeniable fact that Satanists and witches worship Yahweh, YHWH. It makes no difference to them. Zero. Nothing. They totally ignore it. They don't want to even think about that. They don't even want to consider that because they're so broke, programmed into this Hebrew roots, demonic, satanic cult. That's exactly what it is. The strong spirit of witchcraft. Strong spirit of witchcraft. It makes no difference to them that multiple people around the world have contacted me saying that when they started uh, denouncing Jesus' name, rejecting Jesus' name, and praying in the letter Y names, that demons were scratching at their door at night. 
that demons were scratching under their beds at night and in their closets at night. And when they would denounce those demons in the letter Y names, the demons refused to leave. But when they started using Jesus' name, the demons left. But that makes no difference to them. They don't care. Let's just totally ignore that. How is it possible that in the year 2024 that there's a lot of people that believe the earth is flat? And the same people, these flat earth lunatics, believe that the earth doesn't move. How is it possible that there be a human people who have brains in their heads to be so stupid? Let's just say it the way it is. They have flat brains. Because they have flat brains, that's a good one, brother. Praise God. People don't like it that I just say it straight out. That's exactly the way it is. I mean, stupidity is stupidity. Let's yeah. just call it exactly what it is. We just read in the Bible where Paul, the Apostle Paul, called people fools because their doctrines were stupid baptizing people for the dead, but yet not even believing those dead would ever come back to life. That's stupid. Amen. Let's just call it what it is. So, all this consider also Zechariah 14. Let's consider that in Zechariah 14, it very clearly teaches us that even when Jesus comes back and we can see that he is in Jerusalem and he sends out a demand throughout all of the earth for everyone to come and worship him in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, which Christians don't even believe in. That there will be people that will refuse to go. Even though Jesus has come back. Even though they can see Jesus. Even though the kingdom of God has been established on the earth and you're in the millennium, and God has actually returned to the earth, and still yet, there will be people to reject God's word. That's pretty crazy. They really won't know them. They might never have gone sin. That is pretty crazy. So finally, when we come back to Matthew 7 and think, how is it possible? All you got to do Let's consider Zechariah 14. And the 
time of Noah and the time of Moses and the time that is right in front of us right here, right now, your family, your friends, how you can actually show them in the Bible the truth on all of these topics and they still don't believe the truth. So yeah, it's possible. Without a third resurrection, it is totally possible. As mind-boggling as it is, that's just how evil people are. It's just how evil people are. How set they are in their ways that they want to believe a lie. Like God said in 2 Thessalonians 2, that they love the lie and have not the love of the truth. What it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, and it's very true, it's very true. The Bible is right. Amen. So I'm opening up the chat room now. And, of course, we'll continue to teach only two resurrections, even after. Uh, I have sincerely examined uh, multiple places in the Bible. I've, I've examined all of the scriptures that they use to teach a third resurrection. I've examined them sincerely and subjectively, looking to see if I was wrong, and have found no evidence of a third resurrection, but only two resurrections. Uh, concerning Lazarus and the rich man, the old, it doesn't exist today, but what they called the Worldwide Church of God, back in the 80s, from the 1930s up to the 1980s when it existed, uh, they did not use the story of Lazarus and the rich man to teach a third resurrection because they knew that it was not a statement of prophecy. They knew that it had nothing to do with heaven and hell, even though they did not at that time realize that it was a traditional fairy tale of the time of the Jewish Tamad. But they were people that did believe in a third resurrection, but did not use Lazarus and the rich man to try to prove that, because they, they did know that it's not a prophecy of the future, nor a statement of what really happens to the dead. Chat room is open. Let me see if there's any messages waiting for me. Uh, so, uh, when people are resurrected, will they not have their former memories? So the first resurrection, people will still have memories of this life in the first resurrection. The second resurrection, we don't know for sure whether or not they will remember this life. We don't know. There's a lot about the time frame of the second resurrection, that 100 years, that the Bible really says absolutely, absolutely nothing about uh, 
if they're going to remember their first life uh, or anything like that, there's a lot we don't know about that day and time. We simply can't answer that question. But once we get into paradise, no one will remember uh, any of their formal life, whether it's the first life or the second life. That's clear in the Bible, that we will have no memory of this life once we get to paradise. Okay, so uh, reading here, um, I think this might be Monica, and she says, uh, though not related to today's message, it does go along with what you said about needing to read something again and again. I wanted to study the Bible again from the beginning, and I uh, started uh, from the beginning, and I was reading in the commentary in the Alpha and Omega Bible, in Genesis 1, verse 26, about the usage of the phrase, us and we, and how God had to create within himself a way to speak to his creation in a way that they would be able to understand. Yet this mouthpiece, this word, logos, Jesus, is still God, the creator, and not a second person, not a second person of the Godhead. I really never could understand how Jesus could be God if God is one. But in reading this, I had that aha moment of true understanding. Praise God. Thank you for that testimony. Glad that the Alpha Omega Bible was able to help you with that. And um, there's a lot of places throughout the Alpha and Mega Bible that uh, make that uh, clear and easier to understand. We also have that article on the website, the ministry website, I Saw Light Ministries, uh, about Trinity. And it has, we've got a video talking about how can Jesus be the Father and the Son at the same time. And so, um, if you haven't seen that video yet, I would encourage you to find that. Brother Gerald, what, do you have anything to share? I was um, one other thing I thought about in relation to how the traditional happened. <coughs> Traditional heaven and hell doctrine is one, which is the fifth seal, the fifth seal one that is talking about the, uh, the slain saints waking up and then God telling them to go back to sleep. Yeah. Very much against what no peace if you go to heaven and sleep. Yeah. That is true. True.
Okay, let's see. Let me see if I missed any comments. Any other questions? Okay, I'm going to cut on a song, and if anybody can submit any questions later, you can contact me through the website or on Policia or any other way that you know of to reach me. I would like to talk with more of you, get to know you, and work together as co-workers in Christ. I put on a song, and I'll see you next Saturday at Wayne's New Moon. don't have it on that calendar yet. We'll figure that out later. I don't have it on that calendar yet. All right, so I'll see you soon. God bless. Yes, let's do page 41. Oh. Uh-huh. 
Please confirm that you would like to end this meeting by pressing star zero. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.